preach you in Jesus' name this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. The title of the message is Keep Yourselves Unspotted from the World. That is That phrase is found in verse 27 of James 1. I think we'll start about verse 19. Verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding the nat- his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Notice a few words here. Uh, Pure, that's used in contrast to uh, something that seems to be religious. Um, That word is interpreted clean, clear, and other passages of Scripture, that same uh, Greek word. Pure is interpreted... Oh, spot. I'm sorry, I already said that. Spot means a defect either morally or physically. We are to keep ourselves unspotted. And then the term unspotted is unstained, morally perfect, without blemish. And then we have the term world. That term world is was interesting to me as I researched it. Uh, most of the places in the scripture, it's that original word is interpreted world, but it is also in the same word, the same Greek word is found in First Peter three three, where it says, "Who's adorning?" That word adorning is the same as world. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on apparel. So, this word world has something to do with putting on. So, as I pondered that, I'm thinking world is not necessarily... What you do that is could or could not be worldly, 
but it's what you put on as you do it. In other words, you can't do something that is worldly without becoming something in that process. Uh, it's kind of like your apprentice for a job. I, I read this a while, many years ago, and, and I think it's true. If you're an apprentice for a job, what you learn is worth more than your wages. In other words, if you're apprenticing carpenter and they're starting you out at $8 an hour, your experience would be worth more than $8, equally to $8 an hour if they paid you nothing. It would be worth your time to take the job, get no pay, and in the end, if you were a professional carpenter. So, when we become like the world, we take on their spots. We actually become them. All right? Something is unbecoming or is becoming, all right? Not, not that you're actually, but we become them. Or, you, you know, if you get the idea of that thought. Okay, we're supposed to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Uh, am I okay with worldly spots? What is a spot anyhow? Now, my dad had an apple orchard, and one of the things that we hoped didn't happen was a hailstorm. Not that you didn't have the same amount of apples when you were done. Not that they didn't taste exactly the same when you were done, but they had hail marks on them. And so, almost automatically, all the apples were number twos. They could not be number one. Now, that's a blemish. The apple tasted the same, everything, except those hail marks on the apple. <clears throat> but if you go to the grocery store and you want to buy produce, what does a spot mean? If you have a watermelon and it's got this spot on about this big around somewhere on the watermelon, and you could stick your finger through it, would you buy it? Is it a blemish? Yeah, it's a blemish. But you know what else it is? It's the beginning of the end. That's what it is. Uh, Ten years ago, my wife had a spot on her leg, and it was about the size of a pencil eraser, and it was changing, and it was red, and she says, you know what, I'm going to the doctor. I, I think something's up here, and they call it a nasty name, which was malignant melanoma. And when we sat down with the doctor, and the doctor said, according to how deep it is, all 
evidences, your wife has a 50-50 chance of living three years. And you know what comes to your head? What comes to your mind? Is this the beginning of the end? So are we talking about something here that is just a blemish? Or is it something potentially the beginning of the end? It's two completely different things here. Well, turn with me to Second Peter 2, where this term spot is used. But there were false prophets also among the people. Even there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels of sin, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah unto ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwells among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with the unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the, un the godly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust in the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness, and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to write in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings. And the next five words put chills up and down my back. While they feast with you. Church members? That is almost unbelievable. Having eyes full of adultery, they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, and on and on. And if that is not enough, turn back several pages to the book of Jude. Oh, 
Verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, after destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he that reserved... He hath reserved an everlasting chain under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, were set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael and the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against them a railing accusation, said... But said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone after the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about with winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever and on and on. I could read the whole book of Jude. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Sounds like the beginning of the end, doesn't it? This description of spots seem like the beginning of the end. You know why? Sin is contagious. It's an infectious disease. The Bible calls it the bond of iniquity. And I typed in iniquity, and if you want an exercise sometime of finding out what God thinks of iniquity, just look up the word iniquity and where it's reading out the whole verse and just read and read and read and read. And this little thing on the side the column about that side, that little thing just keeps going down real, real slow. I mean, the Bible has unbelievable amounts to say about iniquity. The bond of iniquity. It's something that takes on. It's something with fingers that grab. It ties us up. So, what's your definition of the world? What unspotted from the world? Does that mean you don't get your clothes dirty when you clean out from underneath the lawnmower? Uh, get your shirt, pants? No, that's not what it's talking about. What is the definition of the world as used here? You think our definition of the world is different than what uh, 
think your definition of the world would be different than what your grandpa's definition of the world was? You think your definition of the world would be different than, say, an Anabaptist, early Anabaptist definition of the world? Think it'd be different? Um, you think your definition of the world would be different than an Amish definition of the world? Would your definition of the world be different than a Mennonite U.S. Mennonite uh, Mennonite Church of uh, USA? I had to look up the name of that one. I, I didn't even know what it was. I, I we'll say mainline Mennonite Church. Of America. Would those definitions be different? So what do we do? What do we, what do, we do with this? Um, you know, if uh, say. Um, Well, well, we're not Amish, but how about if, say, Bethel Fellowship would have a different definition of the world, or Southeastern? So, what do we do with that? I mean, that's getting close to home. Well, that's a tough question, isn't it? If my definition of world is different than your definition of world, that causes church problems, doesn't it? And we see a lot of grief because our definition of the world is different. So we can say, well, you know, this, this is so complicated that really we can't never know. And, we, and if we try to figure it out, we just sink into this big quagmire of definitions. So, you know... Um, must be one of those things you can't never define. That's a double negative. If you can't never define it, you can define it. And you know who defines it? God defines it. You know what? The world was here a long time before the Anabaptists. The world was here a long time before the Hutterites. The world was here a long time before Prairie Church. The world was here a long time before the Amish. You know, the definition, God's definition of the world hasn't changed one little iota. Remember that. When we think we're sinking in quagmire, remember that God's definition of the world has not changed one iota in the last 6,000 years.
There is a 100% definition, and that's, that's God's definition. And so where, we gotta go, where do we go for the definition? Right here, we've got to go for the definition. Now, just for example, and I picked them all out of John. Let's turn to the book of John. What did Jesus have to say about the world? And we'll just go through a few quickly here. John 12, 46. I am come a light into the world that, whatsoever, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Jesus is implying that the world is dark. By implication. I am come as a light into a dark place. So first of all, the world is dark. John 14, 17, uh, verse 16. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Okay, this world cannot receive the Spirit of truth, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. So, we have God's people who have the truth that, and have the Spirit within them, and we have the world that does not want the truth and does not have the Spirit. So, first of all, it's black. First of all, it's without the Spirit. Second of all, it's without the Spirit of God. 1427. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Okay, this world cannot experience the peace of Jesus Christ. Alright, let's go to chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hate you, you know that he hated me before it hated you. So this world does not have a spirit, and it's also against Jesus Christ. It hates Jesus Christ. 15.18 Oh, that's where I'm at. 16.8 When he has come, the Comforter, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So this world is without Christ. It is going to be reproved of its sin, it is going to face judgment. And then John 17, verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Notice the definitions of, of, these, of this system that is called the world. I don't have time to go into that. I'm just going to read down through here. Now they have known all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given them un, unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have surely known that I have come from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. For I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. 
And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee. Holy Father, keep thine own name, whom thou... Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Whom thou hast given me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through thy truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which, I, which shall believe on me through their word. That they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which, I gave, which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And we have two classes of people. People that are united in Christ, the people that are watching, the people, oh, well, all those definitions in there. Uh, uh, a very stark contrast between the people of God and the people of the world. And you say, well, maybe the world has changed since Jesus' time. Well, it's true that the world has expressing itself different than it did in Jesus' time. But I believe the core values of the world have not changed a bit. They have not changed a bit. Uh, what we see is The skin. The outside. Someone has said the more things change, the more they stay the same. When it comes to the world, that is the same. That is true. The world, as God defines it, is the walking dead. The lifestyle filled with emptiness. It is a force opposed to God, someone has said, in a deep, grave, irreconcilable hostility. You know, really when you think about it, when you really think about it, we as God's people have zero in common with the world. when you really think about it. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, we, we're serving a different master. We're going a different direction. But we still go to work 
and we make money and we pay our bills. But you know what? Even going to work, paying the money, uh, getting a paycheck and paying the bills is motivated by something that is completely opposite in direction. You take that in consideration. The Bible says that the plowing of the wicked is sin. You know why it's sin? It's because it's doing it for himself instead of God. So if you take all that in consideration, both sisters this morning, we have zero in common with the world. Zero. That don't mean that we shouldn't be here. That doesn't mean we should try to escape. John 17 says, we're here to show the world the difference. It's our duty to inform the world of God's definition of it and of salvation through Christ. So this morning, it's not my definition. It is my duty to conform my definition to God's definition. And let's make sure we're not trying to conform God's definition to my definition. You see, the world was here long before, and it hasn't changed in its core, and it was here before we were, And so it's critical that we understand what it is because what we, how we view it is how we're going to respond to it. Whether that definition is right or whether that definition is wrong, I'm still going to behave in ways of my definition. And if my definition doesn't meet God's definition, that means that I'm either going to be a successful Christian or an unsuccessful Christian. Because the fact of the matter is, God's definition doesn't change. And so we need to make sure that how we interpret that word world, because it's going to determine our spiritual success or our spiritual failure. If I say the world, oh, you know, it's not really that bad and, you know, we're all going to the same place, and eh, they're kind of okay. We can play together down here. Is the world a battleground or is the world a playground? Are we called to do battle against the world's system? I was born and raised approximately 17 miles from the Antietam battlefield. 
Sharpsburg, Maryland. They used to call it the Battle of Sharpsburg. They call it the Battle of Antietam today. September 17, 1862, there was a battle fought there. Started at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm told that one third of the men never even had a chance to fight. They were all sitting back in reserves. They were fighting over slavery. Five o'clock in the morning, the guns started firing. Daybreak. Non-stop till five o'clock in the evening. Twelve full hours. Now, do you think anybody at the Battle of Antietam had any doubt as to who the enemy was? Do you think they had any doubt as to what the cause was? Do you think there was any swings and teeter-totters set up in the middle between the two forces, filled with men who said, you know what? This is not a big deal. We're all trying to do the same thing. We're just trying to do it a little different way. We're just going to swing and we're just going to get on our teeter-totters and we're just going to play well in the middle of this conflict. You think that happened? No. The Battle of Antietam turned out to be the bloodiest single day battle ever in the history of the United States of America. The combined tally of dead, wounded, and missing at the end of 12 hours was 22,717 people. And I read that. And I mean, Pickett, he charged Lee. And Lee charged somebody else. And it's 1,200 men down. And another person charged and there was 2,200 men down. And somebody else charged and, and there was 1,700 men down. And somebody else charged and there was 1,500 men down. And they did this day and they went over the bloody lane back and forth and back and forth and back and forth till they was fighting over top of dead people. Incredible. And I stood there one day, I stood there one day, and the cornfield was waving in the wind, and I just, I, I, my brother, I, I told him one time, i got to go see the Antietam Battlefield. I lived there 20 years, I've never been there. This was 20 years after I left Hagerstown. And the waves, the corn was waving in the wind, I just could not. They had pictures there, I just could not comprehend the terror. They lost so many men, the north and the south, that they, they didn't think that they could ever make another battle the next day, and they, they both retreated. Actually, the whole war could have ended right there if everybody would have known what was going on. One dead every 20 seconds for 12 hours straight.
Brothers and sisters, this morning, we're in battle with the forces of evil. They know what the cause is. Do you and I know what the cause is? Are we swinging? Going up and down in our teeter-totters? Can we play? Something way more positive. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. We can talk about what we've been delivered from. We can talk about what we're supposed to stay away from. We can talk about the spots, and we have. But it's something, one thing to live with. Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I can't touch this. I can't touch that. And don't do this. The church says you can't do that. And the preacher says, never do this. And don't do that. And then we can live all these hundred thousand things that we're not supposed to do that we get unspotted from the world. And we can live in terror that we might touch something. Deuteronomy 6.17, I love this passage of scripture. Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. What is it like to live a life unspotted from the world? Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies, and his statutes, which he hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right, and good in the sight of the Lord, that he may dwell with thee. But thou mayest go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee, as the Lord hath spoken. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What meaneth the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen. We were spotted. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before your eyes. In this verse that I love. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in. God took his people out of Egypt not to get them away from all the corruption that they could contact there. He just didn't say all this garbage in Egypt and all this sin and all this stuff. I've got to get these people out of them and put them in a perfect environment. He didn't say that. Did God deliver us from sin just to deliver us from sin? Did he bring us out just to bring us out? No, he brought us out to bring us in. God took his people out of Egypt 
to bring them to Sinai, which is a type of uh, was which is a, a time of commitment, a place of commitment. A place, God is bringing us out, not just to bring us out. He brought us out to bring us to commitment. He bring us brought us out so that we don't even want to go back. We don't want to go back there. We want God to be our our delight. We want to follow His laws. His laws is not forced on us from the outside. They come from the inside because it's written on our hearts. And we love to be led by the Spirit. We love to be God's children. We love living pure lives. We want the Holy Spirit to empower us. People say today, like Brother Arnie said a long time ago, and I've repeated over and over, oh, well, if you start right, the bottom, bottom line is you're born again. And Arnie says, no, it's not. It's the top line. It's the top line. He brought us out. He made a top line so that we can live victoriously and living for Christ, accepting Christ, and living for Christ in obedience produces the bottom line of victory. We start right, we live right, we end right. We don't focus on all the spots, but we got to recognize that they're there. we got to avoid them, but what that is not our focus. Our focus is living in victory in Christ. And when those spots come and they pop out at us, we reject them one at a time. They are not overwhelming. The battle is the Lord's. So we as God's people, we at Prairie, have to be unreservedly committed to purity if we're going to make it. We need to be unspotted from the world. Pure religion is unspotted from the world. We cannot accept that system. We shouldn't even want it. That is living as Jesus described it. That is true life. That is a community of believers in Blooming Prairie, Minnesota, testifying to the decay of a crumbling culture in Minnesota. Being salt and light. Job said, If thou prepare thy heart and stretch out thine hand toward him, if iniquity be in thy hand, put it away. Put it far away. And let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. For then thou for then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot. Yea, thou shalt be steadfast and not fear. And for closing scripture, turn with me to 2 Peter 3.11.
Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our brother Paul, so according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. May we be found of him in peace without spot and blameless.